0: It's great to see y'all this morning. It's one of those mornings, isn't it, when uh, I, I have an app on my phone that I, I check the weather maps, and, and so this morning I'm looking at it going, okay, look, hey, it's about to stop raining. And then I look 10 minutes later and it's like, no, it's not. It's, it just decided to stay. It is the Mother's Day guest that you didn't invite. But I'm really proud of you for being here because I know it wasn't easy to get here, even if you live close, and some of you don't. It costs you more than usual to get here on Mother's Day, and I appreciate you being here. And if you stayed home and you're watching online, I still appreciate you, so thanks. Uh, Philippians 4 is where we are this morning, and as you're turning there, I just want to say, I haven't done this yet in the series, but since it's the last Sunday of the series, I think it's a good time for it. I want to give you the opportunity, if you are struggling right now with some aspect of fear, anxiety worry, if there's something in your life that has you weighed down, or maybe it's just a generalized anxiety, you just, you just need somebody to pray for you right now, would you raise your hand, look around the room, to see who needs help right now. Lift them up to the Lord. We're, we're going to pray right now. If you don't know their names, God does, but let's pray. Almighty God, there are people all across this room who are struggling and some perhaps who for whatever reason, didn't raise their hands and they are struggling too. Lord, you you know what's going on in their lives even better than they do. And you also know the solution. You know how long the storm will last. And you know how to get them through. I pray that you would give them strength and give them peace that passes understanding and help us to be a church that bears their burdens well. And now I pray that the words that I say would be helpful and biblical in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what we've learned so far in this series. As we're closing out, I just want to recap. Uh, The first sermon was on Easter Sunday morning. We learned that the problem with fear isn't how it makes you feel, it's what it makes you do. So it's not a sin, it's not a sign of weakness that you are worried, that you are anxious, that you struggle at times. It's just natural. But like Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, you may sweat drops of blood, but you get up and you say, thy will be done, Lord. And you go and you do what's right. Uh, the second S- Sunday, we talked about identifying the voices in your life that produce fear and just kind of filter those voices out. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Uh, we talked about the fear of God the third Sunday and how the fear of God's the only fear that's actually good for us. And the more we fear him, the less we fear everything else. Uh, And then we talked about worship and how worshiping actually is one of the best ways to respond to fear. It seems counterintuitive, but when you're terrified, if you actually sing praise to the Lord, again, something else we'll talk about today, it actually helps. And then last week, we talked about spiritual vision, learning to see the world through God's eyes. And if we can do that, the more we do that, the more we will overcome fear. Uh, But you might be sitting there saying, you know, Jeff, I'm glad that God's not mad at me for being afraid. I'm glad that you've shared all this stuff with us, but I'm just tired of being afraid. I'm tired of having this weight of pressure and anxiety upon me. So doesn't God promise us peace? Isn't there a way that all this stuff can go away and I can just feel a peace in my heart? And we're going to talk about that famous passage, the peace that passes understanding in Philippians 4 today. But first, I need to address something real quick uh, that is... Kind of a a hot topic among Christians today, among some Christians. I've heard preachers and others say, you know, if you have enough faith in God, all you need to do is just trust in His Word, and and you won't need any help at all. And so by that measure, they would say it's wrong to go to a counselor, to go to a psychologist, to get uh, anxiety medication, for instance. And what I say to that is, these people need to stop and ask themselves, isn't the brain a part of the body? Last time I checked, it is. We wouldn't say to someone, if you're a sincere enough Christian and you have enough faith, all you need to do is read the scriptures when you've got clogged arteries, when you've got a broken bone, when you've got uh, lung cancer, just read the scriptures and pray and that'll be enough. No, we say, okay, God has met our needs by gifting certain people with medical knowledge and skills and we go to them. Not that they're perfect, they make their mistakes, they're figuring things out, but that's God's first wave to address this. Every once in a while there's a miracle, but that's what we do. The brain is a part of the body. All of us face times of fear, doubt, insecurity, anxiety. But there are some among us who face anxiety that goes beyond their circumstances, where they they can't sleep night after night, where they suffer panic attacks, where things that should be easy for them to do are impossible because of that anxiety going on in their minds. That is a disorder, just like a broken bone, just like a clogged artery. And so I urge you to get help And there are good people, not perfect, but good people who do that. Members of my own family have struggled with anxiety, have gone and gotten treatment, have gotten help, and it has made all the difference. So if you want to know what I think, that's what I believe with all my heart. Having said that, if you go to a doctor, a psychologist, a counselor, you get help with your anxiety, you're still going to have to deal with the same fears and anxieties that we have to deal with. So what do we do with those? That's what this passage is about Philippians 4, verse 4 says, "'Rejoice in the Lord always.'" Again, I will say rejoice. "'Let your reasonableness be known to everyone.'" The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. "'And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.'" Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the word of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And and I I chose this passage because a lot of people are familiar with verse seven and I've had Christians come to me and say, you know, I, I thought that if I prayed, according to Philippians 4, 6 through 7, and just brought my request to God, then I would feel the peace that passes understanding, but it didn't happen for me. And they know that the Bible doesn't lie, and they know that God doesn't fail, so they immediately conclude that there's something wrong with me. Maybe God doesn't want to give me the peace because I'm too sinful, or whatever. And the problem is, there's two problems with that. Number one, it's a sort of magical thinking, like you do this and then God responds, but secondly, it's taking Scripture out of context. Just like we do verse 13, by the way. But verse 7, y'all understand this, right? That Paul didn't write verses in his letters. Just like, do you write verses in your emails, and your text messages? No. The verses came later to help us memorize Scripture. Paul wrote a letter. Verse 7 is just part of a long thought, an instruction from Paul regarding fear. He says the peace of God will pat, that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He doesn't mean that if you do the right things that suddenly you'll, be, you'll go from being terrified to feeling like you're sitting on a deck chair in a, in a cruise ship going through the Gulf of Mexico. He's saying we can grow into the place where we suddenly are not afraid anymore. We can grow into the trust in God, enough trust in God that we don't have to worry about whatever happens but it's something you grow into. It's not something you experience overnight. And I know this because Paul says it in verse 11. He says, I have learned the secret of being content no matter my circumstances. Here I am in prison. Uh, They're dragging people out on a daily basis and and cutting their heads off. And it could be me tomorrow. And I'm not afraid. Five years ago, I would have been, but I have learned. By saying I have learned, Paul says, I wasn't born that way. It doesn't come naturally to me, but the Lord has taught me this. Back in 2008, most of you remember, but some of you were too young, 15 years ago, uh, Hurricane Ike made landfall near here, and we all experienced the consequences of that. At that time, my family and I lived in the southwest part of the Houston area, and so we knew it was going to come over us, and, and my kids were young. Will was less than five. I hadn't even turned five yet. Kaylee was 11 And I sat them down. This was the night before. And I had one of my peak dad moments I'm really proud of where I I sat them down I said, listen, guys, tonight, in the middle of the night, it's gonna wake you up. You're gonna hear the storm blow in and you're gonna hear wind blowing harder than you've ever heard it before. You're gonna hear more rain than you've ever experienced, uh, lightning, thunder, and and you're gonna hear the house kind of creak and moan and make weird noises because the wind's blowing really hard. And I said, I want you to remember during all of that, that this house is strong and we're gonna be okay. The house will not blow down. The roof will not be torn off. We're gonna be fine, so don't be afraid. And I was right, thank God. I didn't tell them, hey, we're gonna lose power for five days. I didn't, didn't tell them that, that people near the coast were actually literally gonna die and there was gonna be billions of dollars worth of damage. I didn't tell them that, but I did tell them we're gonna be okay. And in the end, that's what the peace of God is. The peace of God is saying, I know that there's a storm coming. Sometimes a storm hits that I don't see coming, but I know that in this life, I will have some scary times and I will have some painful times, but I'm going to be okay because I'm in Christ. Because really, what can this world do to me? What, is it going to kill me? Then that's victory. Victory. Is it going to inflict me with all kinds of pain? Well, then I get to identify with the sufferings of my Savior. Is it going to take away people that I love? I get to see them again in a far better place sooner than you think. No, this world can do nothing to me when I'm in Christ. I have the peace that passes all understanding. It's all about trusting God. See, You might ask, well, how did your kids do? Did that help them having that little talk? And the truth is, I don't know. I didn't debrief them afterwards. And and if you asked them today, they'd probably be like, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't remember that because it's been a few years ago. But I will tell you this. How afraid they were that night would all depend on how much they trusted what I told them. Because if they trusted me, when they heard the wind blowing, when they heard the house creaking, they would have said, yeah, that's what dad said. It's no big deal. On the other hand, if they said, the old man is nuts, then they would have been terrified. Basically, you can sum up all six of these sermons with these words. I've basically been doing the same sermon for six weeks. And it goes like this. The more you trust in God, the less you fear. That's it. That's it. No, you can't go home. No, well, you can I can't stop you. But I've got more to say. The more you trust in God, the less you fear. So how do we do that? How do we learn, like Paul, to be content in any and every circumstance? Two things, two habits that I really want to encourage you to practice, especially when you're afraid. And this is how we gain the peace that passes understanding. Number one, first habit is think about the right things. All right, I want to do a little experiment. This is kind of silly, I know, but I think it has got a purpose. So in just a moment, I'm going to tell you to close your eyes And I'm going to give you 15 seconds. And in those 15 seconds, here's the challenge. In those 15 seconds, you are not to think of me at all. Don't think about me. I do not exist for those 15 seconds, okay? You ready? All right. Close your eyes. Go. Hey. Hey. Look, up here. Here I am. Hey. Why are you all ignoring me? I am still your pastor, right? I'm still your friend. Come on, you're offending me. You're hurting my feelings. Okay, open your eyes. How'd you do? See, this is why the night before something terrifying doctor's appointment, meeting with your boss, don't know where your kids are, girlfriend might break up with you, whatever it might be. The night before, and you're trying to go to sleep and you're thinking, okay, I'm just not going to think about it. It never works it never works. Why? Because it's impossible to tell your brain not to think of something. It doesn't work. So what do we do instead? God's Word tells us what we do instead. He says in verse 8, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy, think about those things. Your brain is not infinite. You are not God. So your brain only has enough bandwidth for a certain amount of information. And if you're thinking about the things that are excellent and beautiful and praiseworthy, you don't have room for the fear. You don't don't try to stop thinking about the bad things. You think about the good things. You may never have noticed this, but verse 7 leads right into verse 8. Peace of God. Why? Because I'm thinking of the things of God. So what does that mean? That means, you know, what our, our tendency is, when, we, when we're afraid, can't sleep, we get up and we watch TV. We scroll our phone. Maybe, uh, maybe we find out there's a party somewhere. We go there, uh, be around people that kind of distract us for a while. Or maybe we, uh, at worst case, we, we put something in our bodies that, that dulls our senses. But that stuff wears off. That series on Netflix comes to an end. Your feelings are still there. Instead, go to the Word of God. When you're you're hurting, when you're afraid, open up His Word and study it. Sing praises to Him. Sing the song we sang just a minute ago, I Speak Jesus. Not that the name of Jesus is a magic word, but it's a reminder of who He is. That He is with you in this. Sing those songs out loud. People think you're nuts, that's okay. They'll leave you alone. Download the the prayer sheet from our our church website and just pray through those names. You won't know three quarters of them, but God does. Pray for everybody in your life group. Pray for everybody in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, by name. Here's the thing. When we are struggling like that and can't sleep and can't focus because we're so afraid, sometimes it's because the devil is is tormenting us. Sometimes it's because it's our own minds that can't let go of something because we just haven't learned to trust God enough. If it's the devil, and you're you're praying, and you're praising, and you're studying Scripture, he's going to leave you alone, because the last thing in the world he wants to do is motivate you to get closer to God. But if it's your brain, if it's you, then you are distracting yourself with the very things that will lead to greater trust in your Father. It is time well spent. That, That second sermon in this series, I told you to identify voices in your life that produce fear and and stop listening to them. And and I mentioned a couple in particular. I talked about social media and the news. And I said at the time, and I, I stand by this, I'm not saying that you need to get off those, although people who have benefit from it. I think there is a good use of those. Just understand that social media and the news, they're both businesses. They exist to make money, They make money by keeping you engaged. They keep you engaged by amping up your anxiety. That is how it operates. They keep you engaged by fueling your outrage and your fear. So limit your exposure to things that feed your fears. And instead, think about the things that are good. Second thing. If that was all there was, if all of it was was just think beautiful thoughts, then hey, let's all get our loincloth and our, our hair shirt and go out into the wilderness and dig a tunnel and have, you know, be monks. Because then, you know, we'd be far from society and we could just think about God. But that's not what the Bible says. Not only are we to think about good things, we're to do the right things. Because right after verse 8, where we're told to think about the beautiful things, he says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now that's a sentence that you'll never hear me say. I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I as a pastor will say, y'all want to be good Christians? Just do what I do. I don't think I'm not. I don't think I'm going to reach that level spiritually in this life. But Paul did. He was an apostle. In the same way uh, we watch a baseball player who, who hits the ball 400 feet and we want to we watch his video about how his swing is crafted. Or the same way we hear about a guy who built a, a business from the ground up and is now in the Fortune 500. When he writes a book about how he did it, we want to buy that book. What Paul is saying is, I have reached a level in which fear no longer rules my life. So if you want to experience what I'm experiencing, do what I do when I'm scared. Well, What does Paul do? Verses 4 and 5, he starts with the two commands. He says, rejoice and be reasonable. These are the kinds of things we should do when we're afraid. Rejoice and be reasonable. Let's talk about those. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says, at the beginning of the passage we read. That is the theme of the book of Philippians, by the way. It is a book about joy, which is so ironic because it's written from prison. And Roman prisons... We're not minimum security. This was not a a nice place to hang out with your buddies. They didn't even feed and clothe you in Roman prison. You had to have friends and family provide for you. Otherwise, you would go hungry and you would go without. And yet Paul says, I have rejoicing all around me. I have joy in my heart. That is not something that happens to you, by the way. That is something you choose. You choose to rejoice. That is is not optimism, which, by the way, I love optimism. I prefer optimists over over pessimists, but optimism alone will break your heart because the best-case scenario rarely happens. You'll live in a constant state of disappointment. You can't just be optimistic. It's finding in every situation there is reason to rejoice. I'll give you a couple of examples that Paul gives. He says, hey, I know I could be executed tomorrow, but if so, I get to be with Jesus. And I could also be released tomorrow. And if so, I get to be with you guys. Either way, I win. So I'm happy no matter what. And then later on, he talks about how I know there's some guys out there who don't like me and they're preaching the gospel because they want to get a bigger following than I've got. And that ought to make me jealous that ought to make me mad, but the truth is, all I can do is just rejoice that the gospel is being preached. Even if these guys are preaching with false motives, they're preaching the true gospel because they know it works. So the gospel is being preached. So I just say hallelujah to it. Do you see what Paul's doing? He's taking horrible circumstances and he's saying, yeah, but God's still God, and look at what he's doing. A- and when you're a believer in Jesus, you can do that in any circumstance even on the worst day of your life, when nothing goes right, you can lay your head on the bed at the end of that day and say, well, that day stunk, but I'm one day closer. One day closer to being where I've always wanted to be. There's always something to rejoice in, but you have to choose that. Because our, our, our normal stance when we're afraid is to sink into self-pity is to either quietly or loudly let everyone know I'm suffering. Rally around me. Focus on me. And when you choose instead to be a source of joy, that's my test for you. Are you the person who you walk into the room and the mood lightens because you're pointing out all the reasons to be joyful? By your demeanor, by your words, by the way you treat people, or are you the opposite? You're the person who walks in the room and immediately everybody's aware of their flaws. (laughs) And everybody's aware of how messed up the world is and and how messed up society is and and this city and our church and our school. Be the source of joy. Choose that. When you're afraid, choose. How am I going to be a source of joy to others today? How am I going to show them that God is good today? The second thing he says is let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Reasonable Sounds just like, uh, be an easygoing person, which is fine, but it actually means gentleness. Gentleness is not something we typically associate with fear. I'll give you an, an illustration. So if tomorrow um, you're, you're drinking coffee at your kitchen table and a spider drops off the ceiling and lands in front of you on the table, I doubt that anybody here will respond Gently. Nobody is going to be like, okay, well, I'll just drain my coffee and then gently trap this, this, one, this one of God's precious creatures under this cup uh, because he means me no harm and he is sent here by the Lord to eat bugs, which is a good thing, so I shall set him free outside so he can carry on with his God-appointed task. No! No, you, you will freak out. I guarantee the bravest person here Will grab whatever solid object they can reach and just go to town, beat the snot out of that thing. I want video personally because gentleness is not our natural reaction to fear, and we become brittle. We become selfish, easily offended. Gentleness is the opposite of that. Gentleness is not just nonviolence. Gentleness is. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna insist on my own way. I'm not going to worry about this person said something that I found offensive. This person cut me off in traffic. This person inconvenienced me. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to pour gasoline on the fire that this other person is going to start. I'm going to be the source of peace. I'm going to be the calm head in the room who has thick skin and who loves people regardless and who tamps down the anxiety in everyone else. I'm going to be the peacemaker. That's being reasonable when you're afraid. Again, that's something you choose. That's something you choose to do, not something that comes naturally to most of us. And guess what's happening when you're doing that? You're afraid and you say, okay, this is my cue. I am intentionally going to seek for joy and seek for peace. I'm going to be a source of joy to everyone around me. I'm going to tamp down the anxieties and the fears and the conflicts, and I'm going to be a source of gentleness and peace. What are you doing? You're not focused on yourself anymore. You're focused on obeying God and serving others. Do you see how God's plan is so much better than ours? Rather than sitting in our bedroom in a fetal position, crying, woe is me. We're thinking of the beautiful things that are true of God and can never go away. And we're engaged in making the world a better place. We're trusting Just like I encourage my kids, when you hear that wind blowing, just don't worry about it because it's going to be okay. In the same way, when we do these things, we're saying, I trust God enough that I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to to engage in these other activities so I don't worry about it because I believe that while I'm out there doing those things, God's actually taking care of the thing I'm worried about. That's why it works. That's the peace that passes understanding. See, most Christians know the story behind the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I'm not going to give you the whole thing because you've heard it. But Philip Stafford, Chicago businessman, nearly 200 years ago, wrote that song after learning that his four daughters had all drowned in in a shipwreck in the Atlantic. And that first verse makes perfect sense in light of that story. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot. Thou hast taught me to say it is well well with my soul. That goes perfectly with that story. He learned when the the sorrow rolled like a sea billow, God was there and He was okay. But then you get to the third verse, which is my personal favorite. It says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now, what does that have to do with grief and sorrow and losing children and, and, and being struggle, struggling with the, with the horrible things of life? It has everything to do with that. See, when I told my kids not to worry about the hurricane, I hope they trusted me. I hope they said, well, you know, Dad loves us and he wouldn't lie to us. But I guarantee you they would have trusted me far more if I would have walked outside and snapped my finger and made the storm stop. Then they would have said, "Oh, okay, we're listening." See, Jesus had that power. I don't. Jesus stilled a storm on the Sea of Galilee that twelve professional fisher- or twelve men, some of whom were professional fishermen, were terrified of. But he did something even greater than that. See, there was a storm coming into your life, into mine. It was a storm coming from three different directions. It was it was coming from our own sin, our own rebellion against God, our own alienation from God. It was also coming from the forces of evil in this world that were were determined to keep God from redeeming humanity. And it was also coming from the reality of death itself. That our lives are short, and once our lives are over, we are separated from God forever. All three forces were coming together in this huge storm. And Jesus took that storm with him to the top of a hill called Golgotha, and he killed it by dying on the cross. And three days later, he walked out of the grave. Walked out of the grave alive. So if you wonder why you should trust your father when he says it's going to be okay. Trust him enough to think about the good things, to do the right things when you're scared. It's because of the cross and the empty tomb. That's it. You speak Jesus over your fears. You call on his name and you say, I trust in you, and the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.